Today we have Lydia Essery on the show. Are you a doctor looking for smarter ways to build wealth? Lydia Essery is a doctor who found the power of investing in multifamily real estate. She now shares with others how they too can build wealth and save taxes. In this episode, you will learn Lydia's journey investing both as an LP and a GP. Why a doctor believes investing in real estate is a smart strategy and how she is looking to bring financial literacy to the healthcare field. Listen and learn. Are you looking to invest in multifamily real estate and want to learn? Go to join.darrenbatchelder.com, sign up, and start your journey. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing. Be introduced to the players that are getting it done and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Lydia before we start the show. Lydia lives in the DFW area. She's a dermatopathologist and she's a multifamily real estate investor. She found that by doing both, it provided her a means of saving taxes and growing wealth faster and more consistently. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Lydia Essery with us. Lydia, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me here. I'm really excited. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how we know each other, and then we'll get into it. Um, so Lydia and myself were both part of the same multifamily mentorship group, the Brad Sumrock Group, uh, based here in Dallas. And uh, But this is the first time that Lydia and I are actually connecting. There's a lot of people in the group from all over the country. And, uh, you know, we know some of the people and we don't know others, but um, I was interested to to hear her story and her journey and have her share that with others. So with that, Lydia, can you share a little bit on how many properties and how many units uh, you're currently invested in? Uh, I'm invested in 16 properties, uh, both combined, passive, and general, uh, as general partner. 16, 13, 713 units as GP, and over 43 units as an LP. Awesome, awesome. So... Lydia is a doctor. So there's a lot of different fields in the, in the medical space. <laughs> so what type of doctor are you? I'm a dermatopathologist. I'm a board certified dermatopathologist. And if you listen to the first So that's part like of over the- most of people's head. <laughs> explain explain what that what that means. You probably heard the word pathologist, right? But pathologists yes. are basically a laboratory doctor. Well, I specialize in skin diseases. So dermato dermatology focuses on skin diseases. So I did a combined training that focuses on dermatology and pathology. And my job consists on diagnosis skin diseases, including cancer. You know, there's a lot of cancer nowadays, especially you probably heard, and I, I include a whole audience about melanoma. Melanoma is a lethal cancer. So it's very important to detect it early. And guess what? My job is to detect those, the early stage of melanomas <laughs> and all the cancer and whatever you have in the skin. So 
My clients are the doctors, the dermatologists, and they send me their cases to diagnose, and with that, I can help them in the management of the skin conditions of their patients. Fantastic. So you do have an accent. So where are you from? Oh, I'm from Lima, Peru. Lima, Peru. And did you practice in Lima and then come to the States, or have you been no, practicing actually, in the States I, the entire time? Right after uh, medical school, I graduated. I completed my internship in Peru because that's a requirement. That's part of our curriculum. We have to complete the internship, got, got my MD, and I did my specialty and subspecialty in the U.S. and stayed here to practice. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you come to the U.S. and you, you get your specialty um, here, and then you start working, and... You're working and you're a doctor and everybody thinks that doctors make, you know, huge, huge piles of money and just know how to, what they should do with that money. So what's your, what's your take on that? Well, uh, yeah, doctors have good salary. I would tell you it depends on their specialty. Some specialties are highly compensated. Unfortunately, my specialty is, I would say, in the upper 25% for compensation. But other specialties are not. And what is, uh, we're lacking in training is financial education. Uh, all the doctors out there that you're listening to me, you probably know that. No, we're highly trained in our technical part of the specialty, but we are not trained on how we're going to... Uh, I was saying a smart way, plan our retirement or plan our life in general. Because sure. you probably heard of the recent changes in how doctors are practicing. There is a lot of bureaucratic administrative changes. The landscape is totally different. So you can see that a lot of doctors are looking for other sources of income, what we call supplemental income. But it's important because I used to invest just in um, stocks, uh, bonds and the returns were not consistent or very good until I discovered multifamily. I wish it had happened a few years earlier. You, you and me both. So I started <laughs> investing about four or five years ago. And um, so when did you start investing in multifamily? Well, in syndication since 2019, but uh, we got a little encounter with multifamily before that with my husband. When we, that's when we met Brad, actually. That was in 2012. Uh, we accidentally landed in a workshop that included both single family and multifamily. And we met Brad there. And through Brad, we got signed up to a program. Uh, you probably heard of lifestyles. You, yes. And, uh, but unfortunately, Brad was leaving the next year, just a few months after we signed up. But he helped us identify one property. You won't believe that we own a 118 uh, unit property in Ulysses, uh, really? solo, solo owners with the help wow. of Brad. We, we, those were the good years where you could afford to buy a property like that, solo owners. And it was such an experience, I would tell you, such a challenge. We were excited because it was our first property, but it, it required a lot of help, a lot of contributions from our mentors. Uh, but we turned out okay at the end. We made money and we sold it. And after that, we took a break because I took a job that it was required some commuting on my part. And then we rejoined Brad again in 2019 when we joined his own group. Fantastic. Before we got going, you were talking about, 
you know, the, the medical space and you were talking about your community of physicians and that seems to be a passion that you have that you want to give back and help educate people in that community on how to get their money to work for them, you know, as a supplemental income. Actually, yeah, I do. I always saw, I really don't know how people see it, but I always seen that the way to give back to your specialties, volunteering, you know, and I have done that for my specialty throughout the years. Now that I'm in multifamily and I noticed that a lot of physicians uh, are not even aware of these good investments with huge tax advantages. Well, I kind of my little goal now. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't say little, really. It's like a, I'm getting committed to educate the physicians because I have seen some response. The few that have seen me progressing, me talking about my properties, they're interested. And I just got one uh, colleague of mine who joined uh, Brad's group in the last art to art. And to me, I said, I was very excited for him. Uh, how I'm planning to educate the physicians, I started, first I said, well, I'm going to create a newsletter. And I started that just last January with good responses. Uh, I plan to do some short videos because you probably know physicians are not very patient. Something <laughs> that they can open maybe during their breaks, three, four minutes, just to uh, discuss like a short aspect of how multifamily is good or how that's going to be making their money work for them. And then I'm just trying to get feedback from them. No, what else? What else? Because I think they are interested. They're interested in that passive income. And they're interested in better returns than, you know, nobody wants to deal with the stocks right now, especially now. So definitely the interest is there is how exactly I'm going to do it. But I think it's probably going to be something that is going to be in progress. It's not going to happen uh, from day to night, no? something like that. Well, the other thing is, I, and I don't know, I'm not in your world, but I would think that, if, you know, so I've had a number of doctors on, on the show and, and they've kind of communicated the same thing that, you know, the, the healthcare industry is, is very educated in what they do and they spend their time reading on their field of practice and becoming experts in that practice, um, but they don't spend as much time on the financial side. Um, I don't know if this is true or not, but I would think that part of it is they think that that world is for uh, and other people. And, you know, knowing people that are in the financial world that have figured out how to navigate both, you know, still be good at your field, be an expert in your field, but also figure out a way to get your money to work you know, more productive for you. I would think that that is going to, that credibility that is going to spark more interest coming from somebody that's already in the field. Uh, I think you're very right. And uh, there is another aspect to uh, doctors tend to think that they know everything, that they know <laughs> more than other people and they're capable of learning quickly and they're going to excel in every area. Uh, it's a little bit of the ego aspect. Uh, I don't tell you it applies to everybody, but sure. you, you get the message. No, A lot of people in my field think that way. But the truth of the matter is that we don't get any financial education. And you're right, thinking that they think it's, oh, my financial planner is going to advise me. I'm going to hire somebody. It's going to do it for me. And I was one of them. I just feel so embarrassed to admit I was paying high fees, paying uh, these financial planners and 
they were making the money and me, I was not making so much money. My CPA had to tell me and point out, look how much you're making and look how much they return for you this year. No? So after two, three years after I saw that, it was about the years I was finding all this interesting investing. So all that came together. I said, oh, okay, no more, no more financial planning. So we're going to do it ourselves. And uh, my husband had always had an interest in real estate. I had the good influence that he's always been doing single family, but when he discovered the scalability of multifamily, just like me, you know, we say, well, we need to start switching. We have only two single families just because the tenants have been so good to us, but really the, the plan is to exit from there and just sure. do the multifamily. But you're right about personality and the wrong concept that only the financial people do that. Uh, yeah, we... We're wrong about that, and that can be changed through examples, you not know, showing how one of them or I'm sure I can find more physicians who are doing multifamily, you know, and if they see that, it'll be more credibility. Yeah, so I, I remember when I, the other thing is, you know, you, when you get surround yourself around other people that are doing it, um, I had people that were pointing me to different books to read, to um, and I remember reading this one book that was talking about 401ks, and that's pretty much what, you know, I had invested in 401ks and mutual funds and stocks, and, and it was highlighting that, all right, maybe the fees are only 1%, but if the returns are 5% and 1% is going to fees, that's 20% of the return is going to fees. And then even in down years, when, the, when it's down, they're still taking that 1% fee. Yeah, that's and, how I noticed I was not making, and my accountant was pointing. You see, a lot of your mutual funds didn't do the return, but they still take their money, and they, right. whatever is left is for you. No? So uh, that's the way most financial planners uh, have their contracts set up. So. It was me. I was thinking, then I started talking to other physicians. Say, you've been paying too much. You were telling me, my financial planner charged me a flat a fee of that. Well, I said, I've never seen that. I don't know. I was dealing with one of the major banks at that point, and I saw that I had a very good plan. I was in the private bank. I was really very satisfied with the client services, but with the money they were uh, really providing. I mean, as a return, it was not satisfying. Slowly, right. we started getting out of that bank. So talk about, um, you know, first talk about the, the, the one deal that you did. I mean, that's pretty impressive to have a 118 unit property and that you guys were the sole owners. So that one was not syndicated. Um, so what were, how long did you own the property and what were some of the challenges with, with managing it? Did you have a third party property manager? Yeah, it was a requirement, you know, the, because we had to, I think we put one-third, 30% down. Yeah, we use, I would say, a significant amount of our, our money, but we st they still were watching that we had some liquidity. Um, it went well, that part. No, the financing was not a... And it's funny, that where we met Mike Becker. You, do you know Mike Becker? Yes. SPI. He yeah. was our banker, but back then he was still working as a banker. He was the one you, finding uh, our loan. No? So you wow. can hear from that it was a private loan, records. We really didn't know we were risking there too much, but I think we had good advising from both Brad with the little time he had left there and Julian Alexander uh, stay after him. No? 
But uh, it was a, let me tell you, it was a distressed property. We had to do some work and the occupancy was low. So that was our first goal, to improve the occupancy. There were a lot of non-paying. How low um, was the occupancy when, when you It was, it? I think, 70%, perhaps. Yeah, 70%? 71. Yeah, 70, 71. Okay. So it was a little scary to us, but that's why we got the good price, too, because it was a, right. a challenge. So property. 70%, so you did not get agency financing. It was, no, was it a no, bank loan? No, it was a bank loan. It was my bigger. Okay. <laughs> you remember ban- yeah. Mike worked for Wells Fargo back then. Right. Right. And he got us some extra money for some of the rehab we had to do. And the main challenges were the requirements by the county. There were a lot of codes, the way the, the structure was built, that it didn't meet the code of the, the uh, I mean, the city of Ulysses. It's, it's not only the county, it was the city of Ulysses. Boy, they were after us, and we used to third-party management, and we practically used the money that was supposed to be for rehab. We had to use it to be on code, and we excelled that in less than a year. I would say that, with, yeah, with the management company, we worked really hard, and we were on code in less than a year. With thought it was very, very good. I really don't know. I cannot tell you because not many people do those distressed properties, no? Then right. the other challenge was the chillers. The chillers broke in the first summer, no? And a lot of our, the money, because we don't have investors, had to come from our own money. And that's what the scary part comes, no? Uh, fortunately, this equipment is not as expensive as trying to get every single unit, no, for, to, to have a, the cooling system, no? That is very expensive, no? We, that's something that we contemplated that we had to do later, no? So we repaired the chillers, and I would say the third challenge was getting uh, rid of the bad tenants because there were people that were late or non-paying, and we had to change the local manager like two times because, in our opinion, they were not working fast enough. And at the end, we changed the management company. I think that happened on month 13, I remember, because they were not re- they helped us to They helped us to be on code. At least we were happy with that. But then we changed to another uh, company, and with that, we started working really hard on the occupancy. That local manager they put for us, he, he helped. No? But you hear all the stories because I don't know if you're familiar with Ulysses. Uh, Ulysses is in a very nice area, no? it's in the mid cities. And uh, she was saying, yeah, there is a lot of traffic here, you have a school in front of you. So, she was very creative about putting banners. Sometimes we even went out and helped ourselves not to put the banners out there, just with the local people. And slowly we started uh, bringing the occupancy. It was up to 90, 93. I think when we sold it, it was a 94%. But when somebody, guess what? Somebody approached us one day saying, hey, we want to buy your property. And we started checking them around and saying, well, we were not thinking of selling the property, but Frank and my husband always kept in the back of his mind. He says, hey, we're going to have to uh, wire these units to be uh, individual units. So that might cost a lot. I mean, it may not be a bad idea to see how much you want to pay. So after we checked who they were, real guys from New Jersey, uh, we just started talking and thinking of selling the property. Was a, uh, at the end of the third year, and, uh, I was talking to you, yeah, at the end of the third year, they finally completed all the work and they pay us. I tell you, we probably made about 60 or 65% uh, over our initial investment. 
It really was uh, very good considering this was our property. We didn't have to do distributions. Some people, you may ask some people, they might say, yeah, they could have made more money, but uh, that was the deal we work. Because Paul Peebles, for example, Paul Peebles, every time he sees me, he says, Lydia, look at the numbers, you could have made more money. He's always teasing me about the property. Uh. He says, you have a little more, you could make a little more money. He's always his calculator trying to tease me. I said, Paul, I think, I think we did very good. And he was the guy who found the property for us. He knew we wanted to try something solo. And uh, we're really very grateful to everybody. Everybody who helped us in the transit because it was a true learning experience for us. That's fantastic. I would say the, yeah. The only, yeah, the only thing we didn't have to do compared from what we do now is the monthly newsletters, respond all the questions to the investors because it, it was just us. No? But right. I always think is team is a. I like the idea of having a team. That's when we came back, we were more ready to try the syndications. That's another thing. We didn't see much of syndications at Lifestyles back in those days. People were doing mainly either joint ventures or solo or sure. something Before like that. Before we get into the syndications, a uh, few things that I think that you learned uh, and that I can maybe share with the listeners. One is, you know, people that are in the multifamily world, they understand what chillers are, but some people may not. And, and basically some of the the older properties um, will have an air conditioning unit that, you know, provides cool air to the entire complex, you know, so there could be right. one chiller for the entire complex or some properties may have two or three chillers. Instead of having individual ACs for every uh, apartment, they, they have one big unit. And um, so it's more cost effective, but, you know, when, when it goes down, if there's a problem with it, the entire property is out of AC. So that's not a good thing to have happen in the, in the middle of the summer. Um, so that's something to definitely take a look at when you're looking at older properties. The other thing you mentioned was you changed out property managers several times. And no, we changed, that, uh, we changed once. What we changed was oh, the, just once? our, our uh, site manager. Okay. Uh, we we saw they were not working well, not communicating well with us. Uh, it was the same company. It was the, the same year. company, but you changed the on-site person. The on-site person. Uh, but we changed uh, property. The, the management company was changed at once during that and time. So I've done that before, and I remember the first time doing it, like I was nervous. It was like it. it's a big... It's a big risk. It's a it's a big you know decision. It's like it's kind of like you know when you're younger and you decide you want to break up with somebody. Like it's you know you know, agonize over it, but then you kind of have to rip the bandaid off and you know and move on. And you know it's kind of like afterwards you you drive down the road and you're like thank thank God I did it. You know, and for us we had dramatic change with bringing another property management company. And it sounds like. For you, it moved in the right direction as well. Yeah, definitely. We had to make that change. When you see that the numbers are not working, our NOI was virtually in the red, no? and we didn't like that. We were pushing for that. And we always were working with lifestyles. You know, We had a coach there. But they practically leave it, let's say, it's your decision. Yeah, we recommend this, but it's your decision. They didn't want to like saying, we don't want to be responsible for what happened. Sure. 
And they gave us a couple of names, so we interviewed the people, and uh, we just like one. I think it's better not to say names because the company changed so much. And it worked. It worked, I would say, fast, too. The person they assigned there, the person that I was telling you that went out with the flyers, it, it looked yeah. like they put the right person there for us. It was like a dramatic change. A dramatic so, change, right? And, yeah. and um, not that you want to change property management companies, you know, uh, right right off the bat, but I mean, I was at a mastermind and I was around a bunch of other syndicators and I heard them talking about changing property management companies. And I was like, how difficult is it? And they're like, look, if you feel in your gut, you know, it needs to be done. You just got to do it. And it's not as bad as you think at, at the end of the day. It's and, not as bad. So what would be right. your main fear on changing the company? You know, that's a, you know, you hit the word fear. Like, you know, well, what if, you know, you change and it's, you know, the same or worse. And now you got a new, you know, they might use all new systems and it's, you know, it's an, it's an unknown, you know, is, is basically what it is. Right. Um, uh, but so, I think the, the value of references, yeah, we were constantly asking people for references within the investors. I mean, the coach recommended to people, we still ask people, you know, how are they doing? Are they giving you the financials timely? Do you have complaints from the investors? Because that was something we were not getting direct feedback from the other company. I think the main people in the first company were good. Let me tell you, I need to point out, that was an uh, out-of-town uh, company. They were based in Colorado. So the owner came frequently, you know, and he's the one that got us under coat with the city of Ulysses. But the local people they were hiring were not as good. So we didn't like that. And you can see it was our first experience doing a multifamily unit. So my husband turned to tell me, hey, Lydia, give me a chance. We need to wait a little more. But no, I said, well, let's wait a little more. We financially were still doing okay. But when I saw that the NOI, I mean, our numbers were falling, right. I didn't like that. So I myself started talking to the owner. No? Finally, one day he says, uh, well, you guys, uh, he didn't say that we came, no, we're considering maybe we've been talking to other people, maybe we need to bring in locals. He says, if you feel that's helping you better, you're not going to hurt my feelings because we kind of make a friendship with the owner, no? And I even remember I went to a conference in Denver and he brought his wife, we went out for dinner. There was some sort of friendship between us. No? But uh, he also understood that he was not finding the right people for us. And that was a risk, no? He understood that. And it was a good move. We had checked this company and he, like I tell you, you know, the woman worked wonderfully. I don't know where they found her, but it worked very well. That, yeah. That's the other yeah. thing is, is yeah. that, is the, how critical it is to have the on-site staff. So I've been in other situations where, you know, we talked about, should we change the property management company? And then, you know, business partners are like, well, maybe we just change the on-site, the on-site person and we keep the same property management company. And that has made a world of difference in, at times. So sometimes that's, that's it, all, yeah, that, sometimes that's, that's all, all it is. That's all right. you need it's, to change the on-site manager. Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. those are things for, you know, the listeners to, to pay attention to, um, you know, the other thing you talked about earlier was, you know, taxes and, you know, with your, with your doctors, um, 
every investment is not treated the same in terms of, you know, taxes. And so, you know, why do you say that, you know, multifamily or real estate is more attractive than some alternative investments? Well, we, uh, we often review the, the general main advantages of multifamily, and you're right that it doesn't apply the same to everybody. Our particular situation, it does, because Frank, uh, my husband, retired from engineers, from being an engineer years ago, and he's been a real estate professional for, I would tell you, maybe 10 years now. It's another example how we didn't know that we, with his losses, the passive losses we have, we can offset my earned income because I still practice. And he has worked in an amazing way, just like Brad tells us that he's not paying taxes, that applies to us too. Because, you know, doctors don't have low salaries and I'm still able to offset a lot of my earned income. And it's because I would say the depreciation, the cost segregation depreciation. The appreciation is a secondary value we get, no? but it's through the depreciation and the passive losses that we are able to offset my income. So that's not seen in Wall Street, you know, that kind of investments doesn't have that. And a lot of doctors, they don't even know when I mention depreciation, because they have no idea what I'm talking about. And they, right. feel, and there's they, some feel, over, people... they feel overwhelmed. There, and there's some people that yeah. like, look, they, okay, so it's, it's husband and spouse and you're in that situation, right? Your husband mm -hmm. is full-time real estate professional. You're practicing um, doctor and you, you're highly compensated and, but yet you're able to offset your income against the losses on the depreciation. Um, there are, I believe there are other high income earners that maybe they're, you know, spouse is in real estate and could qualify and they don't even know, you know, they're, they're using an accountant that hasn't even advised them that they could use this, you know, and the government's not going to come and tell you that you can. No, no so, way. um, mm -hmm. you know, I love hearing stories like that where, you know, one spouse is full-time real estate professional has, a, you know, a lot of depreciation losses the other spouse is a high income earner and they're able to offset, you know, that, you know, combine the two and use the losses and cover the income. And that makes a world of difference. I mean, you think about one year, the tax savings, but then when you think about take that tax savings and you put that into an investment and that doubles over three or four or five years, and then the next year you do the same. I mean, the compounding is crazy. It is, it is. I, mean, I sometimes I don't even want to think of all that time I wasted <laughs> that, because we didn't know. And listen, right. I told you that we were doing single family before. We had a general CPA that didn't know. Uh, he didn't recommend that real estate professional status to us. And we thought she was good for a long time. I mean, it's, right. she didn't recommend, she didn't know any better probably, but it's not until you got into the network of investors and you start attending conferences and meeting about this advantage that you, then you say, okay, where do I go? Who should I use as an accountant? And we had to change to experience that benefit. Yeah, and, and look, yeah. 
There are, you said a lot of good things there about your accountant. And I've heard this from other people that are not in the real estate world that, look, I've got a really good accountant. And your accountant may very well be a really good accountant and understand how to deduct expenses and, you know, and, but they don't, they may not understand real estate and the tax benefits that go along with real estate. So if you want to get into the real estate world, then need an accountant that understands the tax advantages of real estate. It's very important, yeah. Because, uh, I, like I said, I thought she was a good accountant. She was really, we were very happy. We had to pay, sometimes we didn't have to pay or pay very little, but we didn't get that kind of benefit we're getting now. Yeah, right. it is substantial difference. So I try to explain that to my doctors uh, in my newsletters, and I know it's just like when Brad teaches us, no? you get a little bit, uh, go to a conference, you retain 5%, especially if you don't take notes. No? But if you go and read it again, you might retain 30%, you read it the second time, you might retain 90%. It's the same. No? So when you try to pass a message in a newsletter, only if they save it and go back and read it and text me, say, what did you say there about the taxes? Yeah, some of them are doing that. Tell me about that. Can we schedule a call? Yeah, I say I put there a link to schedule a call. No? But it's only when you uh, review the concept and analyze a little and get it in your head that it really works. Because some people might say, ah, this is just, who knows, no? advertisement or something. And ask people, ask other people who have done it, just like we do when we find a property or we try to find a management company, ask, ask if this works. For people that you know, they're going to tell you that this works. That's, a, that's so true and it's so important is, is that, one, look, if you had, you're a doctor. If you had the, you know, the cure to cancer, you're going to tell people, Right. And you mentioned melanoma, like you, you, you help people, you know, do the best they can with what, you, you know, the medical state of, of uh, technology is today. And it's the same thing in the financial world. Like you're trying to tell people, here's how you could benefit. Here's how I can help you by passing along this education. But there's, there is a bit of skepticism you know, in the world, and that, is this a scam, you know, and, you know, and, and there's a little bit of arm's length, you know, um, until somebody actually invests the time to, to learn and understand and talk to other people to find out if it's real, I mean, that they have to invest the time to educate themselves and to get comfortable themselves um, but you can put the seeds out there. Yeah, you're right. There is a lot of skepticism, unfortunately, especially in uh, scientists. I would say we're considered science. People want evidence base for everything. We want to prove. We want to we we lay out a project, you know, a, a scientific project, and you have your methods, your results, and your conclusions. No, that's evidence base. You come to a conclusion. And in a lot of the financial world, uh, there is something similar, but like we don't have the time to review all their literature to see 
how much of that is truth. That's that's another problem. You know, that and how much of it is marketing, right? Like yeah, so how much of that is just marketing advertisement? Because you you can see. I mean, we we belong. I think to a very good network, but you still need to be cautious. You no, know, who who is telling you the real thing? Who said something that really happened? You know? Right. But in, I would say in Santis, uh, and for the same concept that I told you before, they think they have all the answers. I'm sorry. I don't want to attack my colleagues too much. But yeah, a lot of them think they have all the answers. Uh, they say, well, it might just be a scam. Uh, but I think the world is changing. I think they are seeing a lot. A lot of the doctors are seeing their incomes affected. They're exploring other areas for supplemental income, passive income. So they're opening their eyes because they're being victims also of the system. No, there is a, the economy is not working very well right now. Right. I would say it's affecting the inflation. It's affecting a lot of my colleagues. So the situation mm -hmm. itself is forcing them to say, "Okay, let's see what else can we do to resolve this." Absolutely. Look, I was I was skeptical um, when I first got involved, like five years ago. I I went and I I you know joined Brad's group, but then I went and reached out to a bunch of syndicators and got together for coffee. And I'm like, is this real? Like, you know, I, I wanted to know for myself, is it real? And, and I was like, heard one success story after another. And then I, you know, decided to take, you still never sure until it comes back positive for you. Right. Um, but I, I decided to take action. And then all of a sudden I was like, holy cow, this, these returns are phenomenal. And the tax advantages are phenomenal. Um, so that's fantastic. But you're right. You need, you need to have a little bit of, uh, you need to be brave. I mean, because yeah, nothing is guaranteeing investing, whether our investing or Wall Street, nothing is guaranteed. So you need to take a little bit of a chance. I think that's what we do in life in general. You see, well, right. nothing is guaranteed. You need to take a little bit of a chance, but at least you have some reference. You've seen the success stories. And it could have gone the wrong way for you in the first investment. And you cannot blame right. everything, but it went well. So that's even good for you. No more reassurance that to do more. But, but you know, I, I've mm. also had interviewed people. And, and here's the thing is like every investor, even if they have 5,000, 10,000 units, they, everybody started with their first investment. We all started with our first investment. So, like, you know, if you're a listener, don't beat yourself up that you don't have your first investment. Everybody started with their first investment. But I had people that said, I did an investment and it didn't work out. And I'm like, holy cow. And why did, you know, I would have thought that would have made you scared and run the other way. And they were like, well, the first one didn't work out, but. I still believed in the real estate model. I still believed in the cash flow and the appreciation and the tax benefits. Um, but I learned from, you know, how that one went down, you know, what not to do. And then I just got better at um, looking at different opportunities. So, which surprised me. Like for me, I'm lucky that it turned out well right out of the get-go. And, and then I just kind of kept doing it. But um, you know, for some other people, they, it, it didn't work out that way and they still pursued it, which was, which was even better. Hey, talk about syndications. So now you're in the syndication world. So what is your, you know, first maybe describe, you know, how would you describe in common language or as a, as a physician um, language, 
what a syndication is, and then two, kind of what's your role in a syndication? Oh, you want me to describe syndication like in general, no? Yeah. Yeah, syndications in multifamily consist of a pool of funds that several investors put together to uh, accomplish a goal, to buy, be able to buy a property that they would otherwise wouldn't be able to buy themselves. No? And also by putting a pool together of investors, they are also able to qualify for the loan because not everything is going to be paid cash. No? And that's why we have different roles in the syndication. We have UPs, the KPs, that if we need KPs to sign the loan, and the LPs that are going to help raise the final capital to, to acquire the property. No? What is my role? Well, right now, I'm going to focus on capital raising, even though I, I had one, the last one, uh, who bought a property in Plano. Uh, I'm a lead GP in that one. That means I work through all the uh, steps of the acquisition from finding the property, doing the due diligence, the inspection, work with the lender, work with the potential management company, all the steps that need to be accomplished until you finally close on the property, and now is the asset management. You know, being a lead GP, you are also the manager, what we call the asset manager. You are not the person on site doing the management. So I'm doing that one for that one, but what I'm finding out is that it really uh, takes time. You know that you are, you are an investor, no? with the economy we're having right now and the prices of the properties. It takes time to do the underwriting and to find the right property that works. And the other thing is to, to be able to be awarded that property because there is a lot of competition right now for the few properties where the numbers work. And um, of course, we're all optimistic. We're hoping that all that is going to change. It seems to be that way, you know, that the situation is turning around now again. But right now, it's, it's not a good time because of the... The interest rate are the interest rates are very high right now, and that's what's making the properties very expensive. So the last one we did uh, in Plano was a long assumption. That's a very good way to to go if you don't want to cope with the high interest rate. No, the interest so was only. So explain to the listeners how that works. Uh, uh, that means assumption. the seller is ready to for various reasons. Sometimes they just want to change to buy. In the case of them, I think they just want to focus on larger properties. The property we bought was only eighty nine units, but in a very good location. And he also was a former uh, Sandrock member. So uh, a little bit of confidence there. One of my partners know him really well. So they just wanted to change hands, but their loan was really low. Uh, I think it was 2.9%. That's a great rate, rate in today's market, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we also wanted some supplemental. We did a supplemental loan. So the average was like 3.1, 3.2. I see that, that we paid. The, uh, the extra money was to do some of the capex, that's the renovations we're going to do during the first year. And that's what is a long assumption. I mean, they have the loan for, I think it was 12 years, and we still have like nine years to go no, with that rate. So we assume the loan at that excellent rate, and we know we have a cap on the payments we have to make because it's a fixed rate. It's an agency loan, that means it's a government-sponsored loan. And that's the kind of loan you want to find as a new person in multifamily. 
when, when you get into the network, you're going to learn there are agency loans, which are sponsored by the government, and they are non-recourse. That means the only thing you are risking is the asset itself and whatever money you invested there. But if something went wrong and you were to lose, let's say, the whole thing, I've never seen that really, uh, they are not going to come after your personal assets because it's a non-recourse loan. So it's a very important term to learn in when you are in the multifamily arena for the new people. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so now you're going to focus, were you, were you still practicing? You're, you're a lead GP on that? Yeah. Deal and but you find me today, listen, to, today like, I'm going to mention How do you this. have the time to do all of that? <laughs> well, my hours are good. I, I, work four <laughs> days, I work four days a week. Maybe I'm a workaholic. I've been called that before. I'm working all the time. Listen. Um, I, I finish my work around 4, 3.30 sometimes. And uh, I think I'm a little bit of a multitask too. And the kind of person that carries like a little, you know, my little... Uh, notes that I have to do so I can maybe handle a little bit of what I'm supposed to do during the day in between my cases. No? But it's true that I focus on my patients between 8 until 3.30, that I like not to do anything but my patients. Today, I have a day of the week off, like today, and that's probably the day that I do my extra things, no? whether personal or related to the investments. No? And, you know, a lot of activities are done on the weekends, too. It's whether you want it or not. <laughs> Sometimes they need to be done on the weekend. That's, that's so true. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, whether you still are, have a W-2 job or whether you're, you know, you have the flexibility to be full-time, look, you, you're going to have to sacrifice something if you want to go after your first deal, you know. And some people I've talked to, they said, look, I just stopped watching TV, you know, and and now they're spending that time underwriting deals and and um, looking at deals. And sometimes it's, hey, I'm going to get up earlier in the morning or I'm going to stay up later at night, you know, after the kids go to bed. But, you know, it's not going to just be handed to you. You're going to have to carve out time in your in your life to be able to go after, you know, the investment. Um, but then once you get you get it, then you realize that that time was well well spent. I think it's, uh, it depends on personality. Some people feel they're working a lot. I don't. You have to enjoy what you do. And it's true you need to reserve some time for yourself, not to, as you say, not to reset yourself, to do something that is totally different. No? But I think it's discipline. If you get organized and you set your times, and as long as you don't feel stressed that are overworked, I, I don't see, I know a lot of people like me that are doing practicing and investing a little bit. They don't have exactly my same activity, but they have some other business on the side. And they're just disciplined people. Uh, I call them is time, time effectiveness. No, they know how to use their time. Uh, but it requires, like you say, a little bit of sacrifice. I really, let me tell you, honestly, I don't feel it. <laughs> when I don't watch TV, sometimes I watch TV because I'm with company. I feel sometimes I'm wasting my time unless what I'm watching is super interesting. No? But I think it's crucial that you pick, if you're going to pick a side activity, it has to be something you like. If you're something you don't like, that's the wrong activity. You probably shouldn't do that because that could become a true sacrifice. No? 
So if you enjoy talking to other people, you like finances and you like uh, the multifamily uh, aspect itself, because I think it's very interesting when you do the financial part, when you are the lead sponsor. There are some parts I wouldn't like to do, like go to the side and do, for example, I'm not very good. Uh, my husband is very good at that. You know, I'm checking whatever has to do with wiring, plumbing. I mean, I do the aesthetical part. If somebody tells me change the lobby, the colors, or the, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> but it's, some things are more, in my opinion, more for men. I may have the wrong concept there, but to me, they know already something about plumbing, electric is so... It comes so natural to them. You probably experienced that. No? We something about changing the, the couch or the cushions or the colors. Probably men don't feel too comfortable. I don't know. I can be wrong, you know, because everybody's different. But I feel comfortable when it's about steady. When it's about talking to people, too. Yeah, I always volunteer. I volunteer doing the letter for the investors. In, in the areas we feel we're strong, that's what we should do. No? And some people are good with numbers. Like I have a partner who is excellent reviewing the financials. Uh, it's not that I don't know. I just feel he enjoys that. I'm sure he's going to do a good job. You know? And that's how the power of a team comes, that you can divide the different roles and get it all done. That, that's fantastic, yeah. Is, yeah. is when you're in a team, to have the team members have complementary skills, and they actually enjoy the piece that you don't enjoy. That <laughs> You right. know you have a great <laughs> partnership when that's the case. Like, you get to be doing what you really enjoy. And then somebody else is doing what they really enjoy and you're getting it all done. And that's, that's fantastic when it comes together like that. Mm -hmm. Oh man. So where do you go from here now? So now you said you're going to be moving more towards rather than doing the entire deal, uh, being on the capital raising side. So you like the team aspect, and so that's the kind of the role that you want to play going forward is educating your community of I physicians. Think, I think that's why I mentioned, I don't want to forget about the underwriting and acquisitions because I can see that how that can be an activity for me if I decide to slow down my clinical days. But I, I want to be more structured, more ready. My company is new. No? I, I formed a company to be able to invest no? as a GP. And since to that company, I'm able to create my newsletters, you know, they go with the name of the company. And uh, it looks in a way a little more professional, more formal when my colleagues are receiving that on the other end. But I can see, you know, I, I don't want to do that right now because uh, the situation in my clinical practice is we're only two dermatopathologists. We need to take care of the practice and, until we can recruit one more person. I think that's underway. You know? And then maybe, because I know my colleague also works a lot. He's fantastic. If we talk about time effectiveness, you got to see that person. He's really <laughs> very good. And in a way, he's been, he's been, actually, it's interesting. He was my mentor. He trained me in this specialty. He's a renowned dermatopathologist. And I have the honor to work with him. So I feel we need to take care of the practice until we get all stable. I might consider reducing one day, but right now is not the time. I said, no. And with the situation that we don't have many properties to get right now, I said, well, no, I'll, I'll just join somebody and help with the capital raising. I'm trying to create like a system to educate. So the timing seems right to do that right now, but I don't want to yeah. forget my goal of going back to the underwriting and keep doing that too. I get it. So mm -hmm. what do you like to do outside of work or investing? Uh, 
my hobby for oh, a long fun. time was uh, dancing. I, I think I'm, I'm artistic naturally. So, yeah. like what kind of dancing? You know, I, I don't know, love music. I used to dance uh, for them. I, 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 I could laugh dance. at you for a lot of different reasons. So, <laughs> Okay, uh, Argentine tango. I don't, know, don't imagine me in a big lunch with a rose in my mouth. That's what people think of Argentine tango, but it's not right. that way. Argentine tango is a different dance from South America. Argentina is a neighbor country of us, you no. Know, and but I didn't start learning that until I was here in the U.S. That's funny, you no? Know? Because my my dad was a big fan of tangos. He always played tangos when we were little kids. You know? And I hated it, the music so much. Does your husband so much, like to you know? dance also? He he can dance. He knows, but he's not a big fan like me. I can dance for hours. You know, there are parties, and we have several in Dallas. They are called milongas. You know? A milonga is an Argentine tango party. When you go to a milonga, they only play that music, and you better have a good vocabulary on all your steps to be able to survive the four hours of the milonga. <laughs> and the, the DJ, there is always a DJ, organizes the playlist in a way they, they play three songs at a time, and they do a break. So you have a chance to change partners, no? because it's a, this is just tango etiquette. Once you start dancing with somebody at the beginning of a tanda, a tanda is a group of three songs, no? you are not supposed to change partners. That's very impolite. You're supposed to complete the tanda, and then you have a chance to break, and then start a new tanda with somebody else. And the fun is that you get to dance with... Everybody has a little different style, you know? It's not everybody dances exactly the same. And the music is so beautiful. I think the reason people go to Milongas is because the music is so... You see what I'm saying now? The music is so beautiful. When hey, I was a I, kid, when I was a kid, I used to hate it. I was telling you, that my dad used to play. I said, oh, music for all people. I was, oh, it sounds <laughs> like, oh, I don't want to hear that. No, but now I came back to Houston. I mean, I was in Houston before being here in Dallas. And someday I saw an announcement. Somebody was doing a workshop in tango. So I said, well, I want to go. I want to know what that is. No, and I got hooked. Just like I got hooked to multifamily when I went to see Brad, same thing. So I That's started dancing. That's very cool, though. I mean, look, South Americans, I think, have a lot of energy when it comes to, to dancing. So yeah. um, it's it's fun to, to hear that. I am not the, the, the best dancer and, and probably have, I, I don't know, the fear of getting out there to dance, um, I got. I guess I just got. You just got to do it, like anything, right? Some people um, think they are not good. You just need to try it and enjoy it. Uh, uh, I would tell you, don't start with tango. Maybe the steps are a little difficult compared to other dances. And the reason is because you embrace somebody, you know? so you cannot be awkward in your movements unless you can ride. <laughs> you can't be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be taking that person out of the, out of balance. You can take them to the floor. Right. But so at the end of the What'd you, what'd you call it? The uh, Malanga? They're definitely going to move away from me, right? They're gonna definitely <laughs> they going to accept partner. another one. Right. Yeah. Oh, there is another <laughs> etiquette that is very fun in tango. They call it the cabeceo. The Argentines call it the cabeceo. I mean, cabeza is head. No? So cabeceo means when you're doing this to, to the girl. No, You're looking at the girl in the other room, you're doing a little cabeceo. No? And she acknowledges, so you can walk through the room and ask her to dance. No? But if you do a cabeceo and the girl is looking away, I mean, she doesn't want to dance with you. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a kind of etiquette there, no? And uh, my husband likes to go to the milonga just to watch. She dances one yeah. or two, and then uh, he likes to see them. Uh -huh. But I, I don't blame some... 
I think the guys have a more difficult role because the guys are the leaders. The women are right. the followers. So it's easier for That's me funny. just to follow them. Fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing that. So, hey, if people want to get to know you better, what's the, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they could go to my website. It's at, uh, the name of the company is Lift Equity Invest, and that's L-I-F-T, Equity Invest. So it's liftequityinvest.com, or they could email me, Lydia at liftequityinvest.com. Fantastic. Well, Lydia, I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate getting a chance to, to know you a little bit better and uh, look forward to, to seeing you at, at one of the events here shortly. And uh, I wish you much success moving forward. Um, listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 